Although these two proclamations we are in the middle of discuss the laws of hiring different types of workers, the past two Mishnahis have gone slightly off track to discuss the different status of Shomrim of people who are looking after somebody else's item and what type of Shomrim they will be considered. And so this last mission of the Perak also discusses laws of Shomrim. And then from the next Perak, the Mishnahis continue with the topic of hiring workers. Says the Mishnah, Somebody who moves the barrel belonging to somebody else, which they are looking after, they're a Shomer of this barrel, and they move it from one place to another, Ushvara, and they break it while they're moving it. Whether that person is a Shomer Chinom, he is an unpaid guard, or whether he is being paid to guard it, he is able to swear that this happened by mistake, and that it wasn't due to him not looking after it properly that it broke. He wasn't careless with it. And then he will be exempt from paying for the item. And Rebbeleezer says that indeed I heard from my teachers, my Rebbeim, that that both types of guards can swear and thus get out of paying for it. However, the Tomeani... I wonder if indeed both types of guards are able to swear. To me, it doesn't make any sense. Because the Shemesh Sochar is liable even if it wasn't due to him being careless. If the item was stolen or it got lost, for example. So it's not considered to be negligence. It's not Pashia. Now, it's true that it might not be totally out of his control. He could have guarded it better. But he did guard it properly, and it is considered to be an accident. But that having been said, that means that a Shomer Chinom would be exempt. Somebody who is guarding it and is not being paid to do so, is exempt when something like this happens. However, Shomer Sochar is liable, even if it's not Pshia. So it doesn't make sense that he would be able to swear that it wasn't Pshia, and thereby get out of paying for it. Even if it wasn't Pshia, he has to pay for it. Now the truth is the Tanakama agrees. However, according to the Tanakama... This is a unique oath which was actually made with Rabbonon. This is not the regular oath which a Shomer makes. Rather, the Rabbonon enacted a new type of oath because they saw that this was a very, very common accident to happen. It's not Pshia, it's considered to be an accident. And although Shomer Sochar is generally liable on this level of accident, since this is so common, the Rabbonon were concerned that if people were to have to pay for this sort of accident, they would refuse and be far less willing to accept the job of looking after somebody else's item. And because of that, they said that in such a situation, even though it's considered to be an accident for which Hashem Sochar is liable, we are going to allow him to swear that it wasn't Pshia, and he'll be exempt from paying for the item for this particular type of accident since it is very common. One who hires workers. And you'll notice that in the previous parak, we, when we talked about workers, we usually refer to them as umnin. An umon is somebody who is a skilled worker. And in general, when the mission refers to umnin, it refers to somebody who is hired to do a particular job. Not for a particular amount of time, but you hire him to do a particular job. On the other hand, pralim, which our Mishnah uses... This refers to a worker who is paid for the time. He's paid to work for you for a day. Now, because hiring a worker is really a deal between you and the worker, so you're allowed to make whatever conditions you like. You can say I'm hiring you on condition that you need to come at a very, very early hour. You just need to, need to stay late at night. And the worker can decide whether to accept the job or not. 
Um, which is referring to a case where he didn't make any of these special conditions. He said, I'm hiring you to work for me t- for the day. And after they made the agreement, then he told the workers to come early before morning begins, before the sun rises, and to stay late until even after the sun sets, to stay into the night. If there is a location where the general practice of people, of workers, was not to stay for so long, it wasn't to come before the sun rose and to leave after the sun set. In such a case, in Rashi Lechoifan, he is not allowed to force them to do so, since that wasn't part of the agreement. And even if he, he agreed to give them extra money, so it's clear that this was his intention all along, that they would work for him for longer hours, they can claim that we didn't accept the extra money to work for you for longer. We accepted it to work for you better, to put in all of our effort. All right, and on a similar note, if it's a location where the general practice is to give one's workers meals, he needs to do so. If the general practice there was to also provide some sort of sweet dip to go with their meal, then Yosapik, he has to provide that. It all depends on what the practice of that location is. And once again, it's important to emphasize that they were talking about a case where he didn't specify something else when they agreed that they were, that they would work for him. But he is able to tell them at the beginning when they agree that they're going to work for him, that he's not going to provide them food, and then they can choose whether to accept the job or not. There was a story which once happened with Rabbi Yechim in Masyar, that he told his son, Go out and hire workers for us. The son went and hired workers, and he fixed with them a deal that, that they would provide for the workers meals, that they would give them food. Now, the general practice in that location was anyway that the workers would receive food from the employers. So he didn't have to make this condition. The fact that he added to them this condition that they're going to give them food, even though he didn't have to say that, because anyway they would be obligated to give the workers food, the fact that he added it verbally implies that he's going to give them extra food. Otherwise, why is he even saying that he's going to give them food? And because of that, well, what does extra food mean? It means sort of a feast. When he came back to his father, oh my Lord, his father told him, Bani, my son, even if you're going to make for them a feast as big as the feast of Shlom HaMelech in his time when he was so wealthy that every day he would make a huge feast for anybody who came, you would not have fulfilled your obligation in providing food for these workers, because they are the descendants of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they're Jewish workers. And the Gemara explains the point to be that Avraham's Suda, Avraham's feast which he made for the Malachim in the beginning of Parshas Vayera, when the three angels came, the amount that he prepared per person was even more than the amount that Shlomo HaMelech had at his feast. Because Shlomo HaMelech had loads and loads of people. Avraham Avinu only had three guests, three Malachim, and the Pasuk says that he went and slaughtered three different animals, a bull, a huge animal for each of them. So these people, these workers, being the descendants of Ramavino, if you're talking about a feast, then you have to provide that size of feast. Ella, rather, there is, however, still a solution. Actually, before the workers begin working, go out and tell them, that I'm hiring you only on condition that 
I need to provide you only with bread and beans, which is the general practice in our location. Now, Shimon Gamliel, Shimon Gamliel says, He didn't actually have to tell this to the workers. Even in this case, we would go according to the general practice in that location, just because the purse, the, the son told them that he's going to give them food. And he didn't need to. We don't interpret that to mean that he's going to give them the feast. We interpret it to mean that he's going to do according to the practice of that location. So according to Shem Gamliel, he didn't even have to get so concerned. And all they were liable to give the workers in the first place was only the amount that is generally given in that location by employers to their workers. Mishnah Base, the Torah talks about a worker who is working in the field, and the Torah says, You can eat grapes according to how much you want. And it carries on the Pesukim to talk about how a worker has the right, while he is working, to eat from the produce with which he is working. However, that doesn't apply to any worker who is working with produce. And this Mishnah comes to define to whom that applies. The following workers are able to eat the produce with which they are working, according to what the Torah gives them the right. Even if this is not necessarily the general practice in that location, the worker is able to eat from that particular produce with which he is working. A worker who is working with produce which is attached to the ground, he is able to eat the produce if he is working with it at the time of the completion of the work. Meaning, once the produce is fully ripe and he is picking it off the ground, he is able to put some in his mouth and eat it. Because the Pesach says, You can't put the produce into your own utensil, into your own container. Which implies that if you're working for somebody else, and you're putting it into his container, meaning you're picking it from the ground, and putting it into a container on behalf of the owner then you are able to eat from that produce, all right? To the a karka, a worker who is working with produce which has already been detached from the ground, they are able to eat from the produce only before the completion of this part of the processing of the produce. And specifically, all of this applies, the fact that a worker is able to eat from that which he is working with only applies to things which grow from the ground. That's the thing about which the Torah talked. And this last condition, which we said that once the processing of food which has already been detached from the ground has been completed, then the worker cannot eat from it. That's because it's now liable to tithes. Nobody can eat it before the tithes have been taken. And you also don't allow the worker to take it and separate the tithes and then eat the rest of it. Because again, it's learned from Pesukim that the worker only receives the rights to the produce before it becomes liable in tithes. The truth is, there are certain tithes which the produce becomes obligated in them later on. For example, grain, once it's made into dough, then it becomes obligated in challah, which is the tithe separated from dough on behalf for the kranim. However, well before then, when it's in the state of grain, it already becomes obligated in other tithes, like truma for the kayane. But in such a case where it's going to be turned into dough, we allow the worker to actually eat it until it becomes obligated in its last tithe. So until it becomes dough, he would be able to eat from that produce. So again, the general rule regarding somebody who is working with detached produce is that he can eat it until the stage where it becomes obligated in the last tithe. If it's going to be made into dough, like it, for example, if it's grain, then you've got until then. But if it's not going to be made into dough, then you've only got until a much earlier stage once it's all been gathered from the field. And again, this depends on each type of food. Alright, if Elush Ein the following workers may not eat from the produce they are working, unless of course this would be the general practice of that location. 
one who is working with produce which is attached to the ground, at a time that it is not the completion of the process, meaning when you're not taking it off, not picking it from the ground. And a worker who is working with it, once it has been detached from the ground, after the processing at that stage has been completed, meaning once it has become obligated in the last tithe, which it's going to become obligated in, in, and thirdly, and anything which doesn't grow from the ground, there the Torah didn't give any rights to the workers, because the Torah only talked about a worker who is working from something which grows from the ground. But again, if the general practice in that location is that the workers do eat from that which they are working with, so then they would be able to, but we're talking about where that is not the general practice. Mishnah Gimel, If the worker was doing his work with his hands, but it wasn't a work which required him to use his legs. He only had to use his hands, for example, he's harvesting, he's cutting the things off the ground, or it requires him to use his legs, but he doesn't need to use his hands. For example, if he's treading on things, or even if he's only using his shoulders, he was hired to carry things from one place to another, he is able to eat from the produce with which he is working, as long as he fits within the criteria discussed in the previous Mishnah. However, Yehuda says there's another important condition to allow somebody to eat based on the criteria of the previous Mishnah, and that is that he can only do so if he is working with both his hands and his feet. Because he has to be similar to an ox. Rebezwa Yehuda learns that just like the Torah says that it's forbidden to put a muzzle on one's ox as he is working in the field, and you have to allow your ox to eat from the produce with which the ox is working, so too the Torah gave the right to certain human workers to do the same. But that's only if they're doing work like the ox is doing, which would mean that they have to be working with their entire body, as it were, both with their hands and with their feet.